Welcome to the Coach's Edge podcast, dedicated to teaching, sharing, and learning the game. Thank you for joining me today. I'm your host, Steve Kramer of the Coach's Edge, and Kevin Eastman joins the show. He was an assistant under Doc Rivers in 2008 with the Boston Celtics when they won the NBA championship. He has been on staff for the Los Angeles Clippers. He's a thought leader. He is a speaker. He works with Fortune 500 companies. He's written the book, Why the Best are the Best, one of my personal favorites. And in this episode, I get to ask him about the experiences that he's had in his basketball journey that have shaped him into the person that he is today. He gives some wisdom and advice to high school basketball teams and coaches. I get a chance to pick his brain about what it's like winning an NBA championship, competing against Kobe Bryant, and much more. This is an episode I would encourage you to re-listen. And one of the things that I really love about Kevin is when you listen to this, even though we're talking basketball, so much of it applies to everything that we do in life. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Coach's Edge. If you find it beneficial, please leave a positive rating and review. Thanks to Kevin for taking the time. Let's get to the show. I'd like to give a warm Coach's Edge welcome to Kevin Eastman. Coach Eastman, thanks for taking the time to be on the Coach's Edge podcast. No, it's my pleasure. Uh, you just explained off air what you guys do and, and what you're trying to get done down there. So uh, anytime I have an opportunity to share, um, I'm always willing. You're somebody that I've, I've looked up to and followed for a really long time. And you know, you've, you've written a best-selling book. You've coached in the NBA, won an NBA championship. Um, you get the chance to speak with and work with really high-level performers in the business world. So I wanted to ask you first off, what excites you most when you get up each day? Uh, for me, it's pretty simple. Um, <clears throat> just trying to feed my mind uh, to learn a little bit, to get better, um, to see other people's perspectives. And then if it's a day where I'm actually speaking or sharing, uh, then that excites me to be able to uh, share the experiences that I've had with others who um, you know, are trying to do their own thing and climb their own ladder. You've had all of these different experiences and we could go on and on with many of them. How have, or what are some of those experiences that have shaped you into the person that you are today? Well, I think anytime you experience anything, if you're really willing to put thought to that experience, like what just happened and what did I learn? I think that's the, I mean, the outcome of that can only be that uh, it should help you. Uh, in in your kind of path, your journey, your climb. Uh, so for me, whenever I have um, some experiences where I say, wow, you know, I need to really reflect back on that because there was something there. I didn't get it maybe when I was going through it because when you're going through it, you're concerned with getting through it. Getting through right? it. So, but once it's done, and I don't mean that you have to evaluate every second of every day. That's not what I'm talking about. It might be a conversation you have. It might be a situation that you're put in. Uh, it might be an uncomfortable situation that you're put in. Uh, what did I learn from it? It could have been a failure, right? Uh, so what did I learn from it? Uh, and what can I now make sure I remain aware of? Uh, in the future so that when this situation presents itself again, I'm ready for it. And then uh, I can also share those situations and experiences with others. So maybe they get a head start uh, in, in, in their life. 
everything's an opportunity to learn and grow. I, I love that. Um, I get the chance to work with many high school basketball programs around the country. And if you had the chance to go in and speak with a high school basketball team and you knew nothing about that team, but they said, Kevin, you have five minutes to speak to this group. What are some things that you would let them know? Well, the first thing I would let them know is to uh, understand that, that they need to know who they are. Like, uh, where are you? Where do you want to go? And what do you need to do to get there? So, and then usually there's answers, but then I go back and say, no, 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 no. Where really are you? And where do you really want to go? Because that will determine the answer to the third question. What do you need to do to get there? So, I mean, first and foremost, if, if I only had like a minute, uh, that would be what I would concentrate on. Um, and if I had a little bit more time, then uh, once I found out the answers to those questions, then I would probably spend a little time with that team on, okay, well, here's what's, here's some things that uh, players that you probably know what they did to get to where they are, because at some point they were sitting in these same chairs, just in a different state, different high school. Uh, the other things that would be talked about uh, time permitting is uh, do it the right way right? There's a right way and a wrong way to do things. There's a right way and a wrong way to act and interact with each other. Uh, and then the next thing would be that, look, in order to get somewhere, you'll need someone. So in order to get somewhere, you're going to need someone. No one, none of us got there on their own. We've gotten help from others. So that's why you have coaches, you know, listen to them. Right. Listen to what they're teaching. Listen to what they're asking of you. So those would be some of the things that would would pop off just front and top of mind. I absolutely, absolutely love that. Reminds me a little bit. I was playing basketball in Slovakia and they were firing a handful of players on our team. And I was really struggling. I was talking with my wife, who was we were living over there together. And uh, I was like, Lance, I think I might be might be fired. I'm one of the Americans. I'm one of the, the main guys on the team. And uh, she said, know who you are, know what you stand for. And then we'll go from there. And yeah. uh, I was like, let, let me just try to embrace, embrace that. And uh, end up trying to concentrate on that the most, and then end up playing a lot better after that playing really well and having a, a really great season. Um, but it's, it's really that that foundational and asking some of those foundational questions. So coaches listening, I encourage you just rewind back a couple minutes because I think those are some really key pieces of understanding who we are to get a better understanding of, of where we want to go and what our journey is. Coach, you had the chance to be on staff with Doc Rivers. You won an NBA championship in 2008. Can you tell us a little bit of what that experience was like? Well, the best, the best part of the experience was we were able to do it with people we enjoyed being around each and every day. Um, there really wasn't a player on the team or anyone in the organization where it was like when we went into a room with them, it was like, oh, no, I don't feel like going into that room, right? We, I think we all enjoyed each other. We all liked each other. We all respected each other, and we all trusted each other. Uh, and those three things, I think, were, were crucial. And I know some people will say, well, you don't have to like well, if you do, it's a separator that you have on other programs, other organizations, other teams. 
obviously you have to have the trust and the respect, but if you can also like each other, uh, that's when you really have a chance to be special. So, and all three of those were present uh, with the coaches and with the players, right? And the interaction of the two. Uh, so that would be number one. Uh, number two was working with Doc Rivers because every day you learn something. And oftentimes it maybe wasn't uh, about a basketball X and O. It might have been, um, uh, you know, a life lesson that he, uh, he kind of relayed to the team, right? Where he would say something in practice. That's why I always carried a notepad, uh, a notepad in my pocket uh, during practice. Um, and then uh, probably the last thing is if you open your eyes, you can learn a lot of lessons from the people that you're actually leading, coaching and teaching. Right. Uh, you know, when I did some consulting work for Nike, one of their mantras was uh, listen to the voice of the athlete, meaning they're the ones wearing the shoes. They're the ones who are out there uh, amongst the masses. You know, they're going to have some great ideas. Right. And um uh, so we took that same philosophy and, you know, we listened to our players. And for me, not only did I listen to, but I observed because I think uh, what I see sometimes is more powerful than what I hear. So for me, it was the daily lessons that I learned by being around, you know, uh, off the top of my head, four Hall of Fame players that were the three that everybody knows, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett but we also had Shaquille O'Neal. We had Gary Payton. So there's five. Uh, if I had to really think back, there are probably some more, but um, uh, those were the things that, that kind of, when someone says, tell me about your Celtics experience, those, those popped to my mind first. That's amazing. You, in 2010, you get a rematch with the Lakers, right? A storied rivalry that goes on for decades and decades throughout NBA history. What were some of the differences that you noticed being in the finals and playing the Lakers that second time? Yeah, I think, well, when you get there, it's the best versus the best, right? So you, you truly know that uh, they are very capable of beating you and you also uh, are very capable of beating them. So uh, maybe one of the, the, the best lessons uh, that we learned is you have to make sure that every player is prepared to play, not just your top seven or eight. And everyone talks about, well, you only play eight players in the, in the playoffs. And in the finals, you may even uh, lower that to seven, right? And your starting five is gonna play the majority of the minutes. Well, sometimes players eight, nine, 10 have to come into play too. And that happened for us. And it, uh, Kendrick Perkins went down with a knee injury Therefore, we, we decided to start Rashid Wallace at center, which made uh, now our third string center, our second string center, who might have to get some minutes, right? But uh, Rashid cramped up uh, in game seven. And, uh, you know, as coaches, you know, we, we thought after everything was said and done, you know, part of this is our fault. We probably should have worked him harder, conditioned him harder back in April, May in order to be ready in case something happened in June. Could he have played his normal minutes uh, as a backup? Yeah, but now he had to play starter minutes plus some because it was a game seven, right? So um, that was probably one of the biggest lessons that I learned is don't, 
don't disregard players eight, nine, and 10, and, and possibly even players 11 and 12. Um, and the other thing is that, uh, you know, what, when you're playing against the best, one of the things that people don't talk about that is very prevalent with inside, deep inside the best of the best is self-pride, right? And in terms of Lakers Celtics, Lakers wanted to get 2008 back, right? And you, you could just see it in their play. And they hit some key shots. You know, everything you practice every day at some point will come into play when you're in a game seven. We can, we can talk about maybe the most important shot they made, which was a Ron Artest three, right? And Paul Pierce, who was matched up with Ron at the time, only closed out, you know, uh, a foot or two away from Ron because Ron wasn't the best three-point shooter in the league, right? Well, he hits that shot. Well, you work on shot contest drills every day. You work on closeouts every day. So, uh, you know, that one fundamental came into play at a very pivotal point of the game. So, you know, everything you do every day actually counts when it's the last day. The last day for us and for the Lakers that year is game seven. There's nothing more after that. <clears throat> and those plays count. So make sure you take care of them when you're actually working on them. Everything counts. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely love that. Ton of great nuggets in there. Kobe Bryant, obviously, rest, rest in peace on that team. When you think of Kobe Bryant, is there a certain thought or memory that comes to mind? Well, the, the first thought that comes to mind is different, right? He thinks differently. He works differently than everyone else. And one of the things Kobe has said in his past is if, if you want to be really good at something, you have to be different than everybody else. And by that, he didn't mean weird. He just meant that you have to do things differently. For him, it was in the offseason waking up at 4 a.m. If you asked him, as a matter of fact, in his, in his um, I think he, in one of the ESPY awards he won, one of the things he said when he won it was, uh, he was talking to all the athletes in the crowd and he said, we all know why we're here. He said, we're here because of 4.30 a.m. Meaning that's something that all the best do. Now for Kobe, it was simple math. That allowed him to get a third workout in that day and still do all the things he needed to do with his family. And this was in the off season. He didn't, he didn't do three workouts a day during the season, but in the off season, he would get up early, do his first workout. Then he would come home, have breakfast with the family, take the kids to school. Then he'd go on maybe in the early afternoon to his second workout, come home, dinner with the kids, maybe go to the gym that night. Or I think he had a, a, a he might've even had a, a court or a basket in his house, you know, and get some shots up there at night for an hour, 45 minutes, right? So he said, just add the math up. The average players work out maybe in the off season, one time a day, maybe four days a week. The good players, right? They maybe work out uh, two times a day for three days of the week. And then another day or two, they work out for single workout. He says, well, I go three every day. So if you just do the math, of course, I'm going to be better than they are. Right. And if you do the math, as he said, if you do the math over the years, then you can see why people always put me in that category of one of the best ever. <clears throat> so those are the things that remind me of, of Kobe and just the, the maniacal drive to master his craft. 
right? Uh, and that's what you find in the best of the best. They really try to master their craft and, and they, they truly do work on it more, much more than others. No, I love that. And being, being different, you do the same things, you're going to get the same, same results, right? And Kobe was, was clearly different. Um, I remember when I was playing basketball overseas and, and coach, you don't know this, but I was a division three college player and playing overseas, basically the only division three college player playing over there with guys in the big East and the ACC and, and all that stuff. And uh, so I remember in the off season for me, it was on Friday night, I'm going back in the gym and getting an extra workout because I know physically I can't compete with the guys who are six, six and six, seven, and much more athletic than I am. And I knew that that was something that for the most part, guys aren't going to work out on a Friday. They're going out and doing whatever it is that, that they want to do. And at least mentally, I felt like that gave me a little bit of an advantage knowing that, and certainly for Kobe as well, his, his mindset being so strong because he knew he was putting in extra time that everybody else that's, that's really um, an awesome thing. When, when you were coaching, did you feel like there was something that was always really difficult to, to guard, whether that was a team chemistry thing or a specific action? No, I would probably say the elite players. <laughs> but um, and that's why actually at the NBA level, you have a, a package called special special player defense. It might be what you do against Kobe. It might be what you do against LeBron in transition. It might be what you do uh, against Damian Lillard in pick and rolls. Right. Uh, it's it's not what you do all the time, but it's what you have to do that time right, against a special player. So, um, I, you know, when I, was, when I was coaching, the pick and roll was just barely starting to come mm -hmm. into play. You know, uh, and that's probably, you know, one of the evolvements of the game. It used to be back in the Bob Knight era, you never even wanted to ever bring two offensive players next to each other, right? So you would never even think of doing a pick and roll. Um, so, uh, that became that became something that uh, you know early on you had to put some some thought to, um, and then uh, back in the day you know uh, when I was coaching in college, um, you know you, you might be able, you might be playing some some great shooting teams one night and some not so great more athletic driving teams the next night. Um, so how could we be good at both man-to-man -man defense and some type of zone defense, right? So it wasn't any one specific thing as much as it was, uh, okay, who are the players in the game today? What do they do well and how can we stop them? Or who are the better teams on our schedule? Because if we can stop them, we'll probably stop some of the other teams on our schedule, right? It's like Hubie Brown used to always say, uh, if you go into each year preparing to beat the top three or four teams on your schedule, you'll be prepared for the other 25 teams. Uh, that's a great point. Preparing to play against the best can get you ready to play against the rest of the teams as well. You mentioned ball screens. Is that the thing that you've seen change the most over the years into the current style of the game today? Well, I mean, everybody catches up with everything because there's so many uh, brilliant minds in, in the world of coaching nowadays. So, so now we're seeing the pick and roll turn into uh, dribble handoffs and uh, 
we used to call it the quick cut game where you, uh, what about your listeners? If, if the listeners can remember back to JJ Reddick playing with the Philadelphia 76ers, you would probably picture him on the wing, throwing it maybe to Joel Embiid around the elbow area. And then JJ's quickly sprinting off of Joel. So it's kind of like a pick and roll without it being a pick and roll. Right. So I think the, uh, the dribble handoff is, uh, has started to replace the, um, the pick and roll because now you're getting the defenders moving a little bit more. Right. And then the quick cut action that we see golden state doing, we see certain other teams doing, uh, I think those are the things. And, and, uh, just this concept of positionless basketball, right. Uh, those are the things that I think are the, are the trends right now that, that we're seeing. No question, quite a question about it. And, the action seems to be something that's common and, and so difficult to guard. I mean, obviously a guy like JJ Redick and Joel Embiid, but the action of being able to set that defensive player up off the basketball, be able to make all those reads when the basketball is not in your hands and then quick cut. Um, and then you can, you can pull it, get into a gap and, and, you know, shovel pass pocket pass. That's a really difficult action. And we're definitely seeing that quite a bit. Coach, Who's someone that over your career of coaching has made a huge impact on your life? Well, of recent vintage, it, it probably would be uh, Doc Rivers. Uh, spent 13 years with Doc and um, first got into it, not even him knowing me or me knowing him. And uh, now obviously has grown over the years because it's now been almost I don't know, maybe 20 years now since we first met, uh, where now it's a friendship, right? So even though I'm out of coaching, I'll occasionally, sometimes more than occasionally, uh, get a text or a question uh, from him. What do you think about, right? Um, so so uh, like I said earlier, when I was in those practice sessions with the notebook or with a little pad of paper and a, a pen, uh, he taught me so much right, in those 13 years. Uh, another gentleman is a guy that some of your, some people may know because he was involved in, in Nike basketball for so long. His name is George Raveling. And uh, George was used to coach at uh, University of Iowa, at um, uh, Southern Cal, um, and then worked with Nike to basically bring Nike basketball and what we see Nike doing with all the youth teams now uh, brought that into play. <clears throat> uh, so, so those two are probably two of the biggest at this current phase of my life. If you had a few minutes to speak to a basketball coach, high school basketball coach, similar to what we talked about earlier with a group of players, and you had to give them maybe just two pieces of advice heading into high school basketball season, which we're just starting to dig into right now, what would you tell them? Well, I think it, it, you have to get to the point where your players believe that you believe in what you believe in, which means you have to know your system so well, backwards and forwards, right? So that during those tough times of the season, uh, you're not going to cave in to the pressure from outside, right? You, you have to run the best offense 
for your team to be successful or the best system for your team to be successful that year, not the best system that you think your AD will like and say, oh, wow, he's a good coach, right? It's just like that classic situation where you, you, you maybe get upset the night before by a team you should have beaten. So you're going to come in and then you play two days later, right? The day in between, you're going to come in and prove to your team that you're the boss and you're going to get them to work hard. So you're going to, you're going to sprint them till they're throwing up and their legs are dead. So you've done an incredible job as a coach preparing your team to lose two games in a row <laughs> because you made the decision that you were going to save your butt and not save their legs, right? Which is something... You know, sometimes we do in coaching, especially at the lower levels. Okay, I got to do some things that, you know, my AD thinks is good rather than what's best for our team. Now, I don't, I'm not saying anything negative about athletic directors, sure. but sometimes as coaches, we feel the pressure from above, right? Um, and then some other things just are things that happen before the season starts. Like we were super big on like, what are our valuables? What, what or excuse me, what are our values? What are our non-negotiables for this team? What do our guys know? No, no, no. We're not, we're not, we're not doing that. That's not how we play here. Right. And then I guess the last thing now that we're close to it is uh, to always remember that coaches have body language too. We always get on the players for their body language. Right. Well, sometimes they look over at us and they see some body language as well. And they have to guess just like we do. Right. When we see body language, we make an evaluation and an interpretation of what we think that body language is saying. Well, so too are others with our body language. Right. So I guess those would be things that just kind of uh, pop into mind. Great pieces of advice for for any high school coach. And again, if you're listening, I encourage you to rewind back a few minutes, re-listen to some of the things that Coach Eastman is talking about. I know they can be applied to not just basketball, but that's the thing that I love listening to hearing you speak. So many of these things apply to life in general. Is that something that you've really learned throughout your long basketball career? And now speaking a lot of in the business world or so many of these characteristics, they're just beyond the game. Uh, yeah, because whether we're at our desks at our corporate job, or we're on the basketball court competing against uh, a team on a Friday night, uh, that word comes into play. We are competing. So uh, what are the things that go into uh, being successful, right? With what we do, because the other thing we have to remember is the other team practices too, right? So it's not like uh, it's always our fault that we might lose a game. Sometimes they're better than us that, that night or that day. And then we come back and we figure out, okay, how can we catch back up again? But I, I just think there's a tremendous carryover. Not, it doesn't matter whether it's sports and, and life or sports and corporate. To me, there's carryover uh, in success, right? There's certain things that are staples of success that no matter what we do, if we do those things, we'll have a shot in our industry, in our craft, in, in our uh, conference to be successful at that. So I don't try and create things that carry over. These are just natural. Sure. And uh, that's why when I speak, especially to the corporate world, I can tell these stories about things that happen in the sports world. And all they have to do is put, instead of Kevin Garnett, they put their director of sales into that story, right? And instead of saying, uh, uh, 
we played on uh, the Milwaukee Bucks arena on their court. It's your office complex, right? So I don't know about transfer. I just know that it works if you want to be successful. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons I love reading your book. I'm a highlighter note taker kind of guy. And so your, your book has a, a lot of highlights in it with why the best are the best. And you talk about uh, success being hard, success taking time and not ha- happening alone, which you've mentioned already. Um, I just want to thank you for taking the time to be on the Coach's Edge podcast. And I do want to leave the, the last word to you. Anything that you would like to say to all of our listeners? Well, I guess since you had told me that there's a, a, a large portion of the audience is coaches, uh, you know, don't, don't ever settle. Don't ever think you've arrived. Because what I did find from being around the best of the best is uh, none of them feel that they've arrived. Whether that be a Kevin Garnett or Kobe or Kevin Durant, what they have figured out is they've just gotten to a new, a new level, a new stage, a new rung on the ladder. And uh, Michael Jordan taught me this, and maybe this is the best thing I'll, I'll leave with your group. Um, he said to me one day, we were watching a whole bunch of college players. It was at his camp, and I used to work his camp every year because uh, Nike put it on in conjunction with Michael. And at the camp, he also brought in the top college players, 24 of the top college players. You know, inevitably every year, all 13 lottery picks were at that camp. Right. So that's the level of play. And I remember him saying at, at one point, you know, they, they, these guys don't get it. And I said, what do you mean, Michael? And he said, they just don't get it. And I said, explain. And he said, you know, they're all the best player at their teams. They're all going to be in the league. But what they don't understand is it's a new level. I mean, there's a whole bunch of them in our league. And he said, uh, and he told the group this, he said, you know, guys, you've got to understand you've been successful. Uh, but success doesn't stop once you get there, right? All of a sudden, just because you did it in college doesn't mean you're going to do it in the pros. It doesn't stop. Okay, I'm successful. Boom, done. Success doesn't stop once you get there. That's why Michael and Kobe and LeBron, you just see them keep on inching, inching, inching Mm -hmm. each and every year Um, because they are maniacal about their craft. Coach, this was awesome. I could talk to you for hours. I'd love to love to pick your brain. Uh, I certainly appreciate you taking the time. And uh, to all of our listeners, uh, rewind this, take a listen to and re-listen to Coach Eastman's podcast. Really great nuggets in here. And uh, so thank you for listening. And as always, get after today. No, my pleasure. Good luck with everything. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Coach's Edge podcast. I know there's a lot of things that you could be doing. And so you spend some time listening to the Coach's Edge. It means a lot to me. Thank you to Kevin for taking the time to be on the podcast as well. I highly encourage you to follow him on Twitter. Find his book, Why the Best of the Best. It's one of my personal favorites. And if there's anything that I can personally do for you, whether that's our membership service, you can go to coachesedge.coach to learn more about how we help basketball programs around the country. If you want to reach out with any other basketball questions, it's contact at KramerBasketball.com, at CoachesEdge1 on Twitter, or Steve21Kramer is my personal Twitter account as well. Love to talk basketball. Love to help basketball coaches do what they do better. Have a great day. We hope that you found this podcast beneficial. As always, get after it.